This is the Fenway Rundown, the premier podcast for all things Boston Red Sox. You know, people harp on the last place thing, but essentially what's important is the record. If the Red Sox want people to start thinking the ownership cares, then maybe they should talk. This is the Fenway Rundown, brought to you by Mass Live. Here are your hosts, Chris Cotillo and Sean McAdam. Happy Thursday, everybody. Welcome back to the Fenway Rundown. I'm Chris Cotillo. Sean McAdam here with me, and we are going to do one of our mailbag episodes, which we enjoy doing. It's a way to interact with you, the listener, or tweeter, or I don't know if we can call them tweeters anymore, Sean, because I guess Twitter is called X, but I don't know if what the the the, uh, the user of X is called. Xer probably is not, not a word, so we'll stick with listener. Um, <clears throat> some good questions today after a 4-3 Red Sox win over the Royals last night. Red Sox are still reeling, have only won three of 11, but they've been at least able to keep their head above water with two of three over the Royals to start this week. Tonight, they'll face them one more time with James Paxton on the mound and welcome the Tigers in to close the homestand before going to Washington, New York, and Houston on one of the longest road trips of the year. We talked a lot about Alex Verdugo the other day, so let's start there with a mailbag question from Dave McCarthy at Dave G. McCarthy asking pretty bluntly and simply, Will Alex Verdugo be a member of the 2024 Red Sox? We'll start with your thoughts, and then I'll chime in. It's hard to think that he will be at this point. Uh, I, I think the only thing that might result in him returning is if this latest episode um, conspires to lower his value to the point where they don't think they can make that trade in the offseason. Uh, if it's been, if his reputation, if his image has been so damaged, if his value is so low uh, and they don't want to trade him for 50 cents on the dollar, then maybe they hold on to him and try to move him at some point next year. But I have no doubt that moving Verdugo with a year of control remaining will be on Bloom's to-do list this winter. I think that they're going to try, but I actually think that they are not, they're going to get as they did in the weeks leading up to the deadline, they're not going to get a satisfactory offer. And that being said, they're not going to be able to move him. And, you know, Bloom is a guy that he does not make trades that he thinks he's losing. And I think at the end of the day, that might play in, assuming he's still here. We'll get to that question in a second. But I just feel like if he's getting offered, you know, a, a 25 cents on the dollar or 50 for Verdugo with the year left to control, he's going to look at that and say, you know, we're probably better off keeping this guy if we're going to be contenders in 2024. Um, the way the Red Sox look at some of these pieces, you know, last offseason, I'm not saying these situations are exactly similar, but, you know, guys like Dahlbeck and Duran, some guys that seem to, you know, seem like obvious trade candidates, not that those guys were as established as Verdugo is heading into this winter, but look like obvious trade candidates. The Red Sox held on. Bobby Dahlbeck still in the organization somehow. The way the Red Sox look at it is, well, if we're not getting the offer we like. These guys aren't burning a hole in our pocket. Um, is it going to be probably not ideal to have, theoretically, a pissed off Verdugo on the team in 2024? I can see that. But again, if they don't get a, a really good offer that you know Heim thinks is worth it, I, I just think that he could stay. Um, but, but I do think, as you said, they'll definitely explore the possibility of trading him. I think you're leaving out a key component, though, and that is what sort of money is he going to make in 2024? He's at about $8 million this year with arbitration. You can certainly see that that number go up to maybe 11 or $12 million in 2024. 
And at that point, that becomes another part of the equation. Um, yes, they don't like to lose on deals and take 50, 60, 70 cents on the dollar in return, but there will be um, there will be some calculation about how much money he's going to make. I, I misstated. It is not eight million in 2023. It is closer to six million. So perhaps the leap will not be quite as dramatic, but he could still make up to you know eight and a half, nine, ten million dollars through arbitration. And they may think that, uh, given the return they're getting there, that that's not a fair uh, situation for them, and that could push them to make that deal. Yeah, I mean, I don't think he's a guy that's going to get non-tendered, but um, it's no, still going to be right. But but I mean, a guy that is going to start, you know, getting expensive as he adds into that last year before free agency. Um, kind of the same question from a, a, a couple different people from Marty, Party of Marty Three, and then Anthony Brincolo, basically asking um, about the futures of Heimblum and Alex Cora. I think as we look down the stretch here, that's probably the biggest question facing the Red Sox. Marty asks, if and when they don't make the playoffs after a quiet trade deadline, could Bloom be fired? I will weigh in with this. I think that while, you know, there a lot of it looks bad with another possibly last place finish, another team missing the playoffs, the argument to keep Heim Bloom is that they probably maybe exceeded expectations a little bit if they win, let's say, 84, 85 games and still don't get in. But the bigger part is just the emergence of that core where you look forward and you say, Connor Wong, Tristan Casas, Trevor Story, Rafael Devers, um, Yoshida, Duran, Bayo, Crawford, Winkowski, all of these guys, you know, and then the relievers are more are older guys, but you know, Jansen and, and Martin back next year. You have a lot of really good players under control in important spots. You kind of see that core coming together over this roster could be pretty good. And I think at the end of the day, Heim can and, and should argue that he's been able to put that together and see that long-term vision through. And at the end of the day, with that in mind, I think he stays and gets one more year, but definitely enters 24 on the hot seat. Yeah, I would agree with you. I, I think he is relatively safe, although I think all options are on the table as we get to the end of the season. And a lot may depend on what the last seven weeks of the season look like. If there continues to be a lot of drama around the club, like we saw last weekend with Alex Verdugo, that could change the dynamic. It could even put Alex Cora in play in terms of job security. Um, for now, I'm leaning toward both returning. Uh, I think you correctly summarized the case to be made for Bloom, given the steps forward the major league team has made this year, that uh, the undeniable improvements made in the farm system, the the emergence or the beginning of the emergence of a of a core going forward with players like Casas and like Duran and a more veteran piece like Yoshida being added. added. I, I think you could certainly make the case for Bloom to return, but uh, we have seen before this ownership can be tempestuous. They react to the moment. They are very PR conscious and another season out of the postseason structure uh, could force them or lead them to make sweeping changes both in the dugout and the front office. And that's the next question from from Anthony and a couple other people also asked this. Alex Cora's future, and I feel like the talk has been for the last couple of years about Heim Bloom, and we always kind of talk behind the scenes about how Alex Cora has the Teflon kind of component to it where he does not ever seem to be discussed as being on the hot seat. I think that this year has turned a little bit 
because, um, you know, there have been some different things going on, whether it be the, just the defense, which, you know, again, as you wrote yesterday, I think this has been a theme, or you wrote for this morning and has been a theme throughout the season. The players do deserve some blame for various things that have happened. Not being able to defend is kind of on everybody, right? I mean, the coaching staff for not drilling at home, but the front office for not getting good defensive players and the players for just not making the plays and making a lot of boneheaded mistakes. I think that is not really a great reflection on Cora. The Verdugo thing, you know, it, it's a difficult situation for a manager. He's trying to do everything he can to get the most out of that player, but it's turmoil, and that doesn't reflect particularly well on a manager in that situation. And then, you know, another record um, that is kind of subpar. Alex Cora, though, does have the upper hand uh, on Heimblum in, in one facet, and that is that he has a World Series championship to his name, and I think that still carries weight five years later, especially in the eyes of ownership. My take on Cora, as we've been talking about uh, the last couple of days and weeks, is that I don't think he would get fired after this season. Um, if he were to leave, which I don't think he will, it would be kind of his decision where he would resign and maybe pursue another opportunity or do broadcasting for a year. Um, you know, maybe he wants to move on from the situation. I'm not saying I've heard that or anything. I'm just kind of speculating because um, he has said time after time in the past, he doesn't view himself doing this managerial thing for, you know, 15, 20 years and being, you know, one of the longer tenured managers in Red Sox history. He said he's going to do it for a few years and probably wants to move up to a front office or a media role. Um, maybe he's starting to plant the seeds of his exit strategy here. And um, I also think that Alex Gora, very conscious of his image. He rebuilt it three, four years ago now. Um, I think that he probably wouldn't like the optics of ever being fired to the point where he would try to get out in front of it and, and maybe make it look like his own decision before stuff, because this is a family show really hits the fan. Yeah. I, I guess there is that possibility of Cora on his own walking away, whether that's a case of jumping before being pushed, or even if he were not in any jeopardy of losing his job, just deciding that he's frustrated with the way things are going. He doesn't see the spending commensurate with where he thinks it should be. Maybe there are issues I don't think maybe is the word to use. There are some issues between Cora and Bloom in terms of how they view the roster and team building. So maybe all those things conspire for him to walk away, but he would do so with at least a year left on his contract. Presumably the Red Sox would enforce that and not allow him to manage elsewhere next year, or certainly not without any compensation from another team. I think he'd be in demand if he wanted to manage. But at the same time, I'd ask myself, why would he leave here and want to manage someplace else? Yes, there's been some frustration here. Yes, there is some dysfunction in the organization. There have been disagreements with Bloom. But I, I think he's smart enough to know that those are going to happen just about anywhere. And for all the complaints about the Red Sox not being big spenders this year, they're out of the top 10 for the first time in a long time when it comes to payroll. I think that overall, this is a pretty good situation. You could go a lot of places and not have ownership commit $220 million to payroll, even if that has slipped down the ladder a little bit. So, um, you know, a lot to determine here in the coming months, both in terms of ownership's vision for the future and what Alex Cora wants to do personally. Yeah. And, you know, as kind of going back to the Bloom thing and, and why, what his case to stay is. Obviously, uh, playing into the Alex Cora thing here, there's not many situations that after this year you're going to be able to walk into that are going to be better. 
You know, like usually if a team's making a managerial change, it's because they had a bad year and things have gone off the rails. The Red Sox are going to enter the off season with a lot of money to spend, um, and you know, theoretically, are going to go over the CBT beyond big free agents with that core of, of good players and good young players coming up like any manager um they're, they're not walking into if you're hiring a new manager a, a disastrous situation here they're walking yeah, into it's a, not a long-term good one. rebuild anymore no and uh i think that you know cora he's seen it to this point you know so in his mind if he looks around the grass probably is not greener on, on another club those are kind of long-term organization questions and ones we got from, uh, you know, three, four, five people I could see out of the 12 or 13 questions we got. This is a short-term um, question about the last couple of days. Are you concerned about Trevor Story's start? I think he's 0 for 8 with six strikeouts in his first two games, and he looks like uh, his timing is way off. Um, it's funny because two days ago when we did this pod, we talked about is Trevor Story spent too much time in AAA, and now it seems like there's a chance he didn't spend enough. Um, but I guess, you know, an example of it's just different. It's the big leagues, as Alex Cora always says. There is no 4A. It is Major League Baseball, and uh, we're seeing that with Trevor Story over the last couple of days. What is your level of concern with how we showed up here for these 48 hours? Next to zero. Uh, I mean, eight plate appearances uh, is not going to tell you about Trevor Story going forward. Uh, I thought one of the more encouraging things about his return was that play and throw he made from his knee with the infield in on his first night back on Tuesday. That seemed to indicate a return to arm strength, which let's remember, that's what this surgery was all about in the first place. Mm -hmm. So defensively, he looks fine. It's natural for a guy who hasn't played since the middle of last September against major league caliber pitching in that environment to take a little while to get the timing down, to catch up to quality fastballs, uh, not concerned at all. Uh, Trevor Story is an above-average shortstop, a borderline all-star player, and he'll be that in time, just not after eight plate appearances. And if you remember last year, he started off super slow. I know there was a lot going on. He signed late after the lockout. Wife had a baby, only spent a few days in spring training, um, but you know, there was, there is that uh, kind of precedent for a slow start here in Boston and easier to do in April than in the heat of a, maybe or maybe not pennant race here in mid August. And, um, you know, it seems like he's going to get some downtime, whether it be tonight, whether it be tomorrow after playing two games and the Red Sox expect, um, him to, you know, be the player that they gave 140 million to a couple of years ago, just obviously for uh, a six week span instead of the entire year. What's your level of concern, Sean? I'll add throwing in the mailbag myself here. What's your level of concern with the Justin Turner situation? He told Alex Spear yesterday he has a bone bruise in his heel. A doctor would have recommended staying off his feet for four to six weeks, and that's not a possibility. So Turner's going to play through it. Uh, it's not a good injury to have for a hitter, and we saw that over the weekend when he tried to, to play through, and it was not great. So he's going to try to let it settle down, come back. If this is something that lingers and, and is really affecting him, I think this is going to be one of those sneaky things that really, really could hurt the Red Sox moving forward. I think so, too. Uh, when you look at that lineup and how much, how left-handed it is from Yoshida to Devers to Duran to Verdugo to Casas, they have very little thump on the right side. It really is a matter of, you know, of Turner and Duvall and a couple of other options when they don't have his run-producing ability, and we've highlighted how well Turner has done 
with runners in scoring position, the number of big hits he's been able to come up with, uh, the fact that he balances that lineup, gives him uh, some right-handed heft up in the top three or four spots in the lineup. That could be uh, a significant loss here. He, he's been obviously in the middle of a lot of uh, offensive rallies that we've seen so far. And this is a guy who's 38 years old and is, you know, banged up a little bit. I think we can say goodbye to any more experiments at second base. Uh, they do have now Urias and Reyes to play there. So maybe that isn't uh, quite the need that it was when they were looking to get him in the lineup once or twice a week at second. I don't think we'll see that. We probably won't see him playing first base a whole lot either. I would imagine they would want to keep him off his feet as much as they can going forward and have him strictly be the DH. And, and that's going to impact Yoshida a little bit. It'll be harder to get him uh, time at DH, although they obviously will... Uh, be listening to Turner and his availability and whatever time he needs off. But uh, th this this threatens to be a significant impediment to the, the lineup and the offense going forward. Yeah, definitely. A couple more here. Red Sox, Sam, what are the internal expectations for this offseason? Do they actually expect to sign two high-end starters or should we pr be prepared to be disappointed again, Sean? Uh, do you think they're going to add to the rotation? I, I, I believe they will. Um it seems like when you look around, I kind of laid it out with the different positions they have filled and coming back, like rotation help is, I think, the glaring need in this team moving forward. No question. It, it is time to make some big moves. I wouldn't be surprised if they went and did add two starting pitchers. Uh, I would be surprised if both were free agents. I think it's more likely they make a big free agent splash, um, You know, whether that's Yamamoto on the free agent scene from Japan or a, a more traditional major league free agent here. I'm a little skeptical about the class. I think there are a lot of questions about the guys that are going to be out there. Orius uh, from the Dodgers would have been um, a, an interesting target at the start of this year, but his poor year and some injuries have uh, had some questions around him. You've got Aaron Nola coming up. I'm not sure that that qualifies necessarily as a front of the rotation guy he might be more of a number three at this point so my guess is a free agent splash but also a trade to get a starting pitcher who is under control the kind of deal they wanted to make at the deadline and didn't it's going to be costly it's going to hurt uh, because it's going to cost multiple prospects from their system but I think finally they are at the uh the nexus of both needing a controllable starting pitcher to build around and having built up the inventory of prospects where it's a little less painful to part with a couple to get that goal. Yeah. Free agents, Julio Urias, Aaron Nola, uh, Shohei Otani, I guess, uh, Clayton Kershaw seems like he'll never leave the Dodgers. Um, a few other guys, Sonny Gray is available. Luis Severino, if anybody wants him and some of those guys that moved at the deadline, Flaherty, Montgomery, um, Eduardo Rodriguez, if he opts out, Giolito, Blake Snell is a name that I think the Red Sox could pursue. Um, uh, that's that's maybe the most interesting of the free agents to me uh, because they could use some left-handed uh, starters here. If you look at the guys they have under control, yes, Chris Sale has one more guaranteed year, but we know how unreliable he is going forward. Uh, whether they pursue Paxton as a free agent and try to bring him back remains to be seen. 
but there are no lefties on the horizon. Shane Drowen maybe, but he clearly needs more time and can't be counted on for next mm-hmm. year. So the fact that Snell is left-handed, the fact that he has a history with Hein Bloom from Tampa Bay further makes a connection there. I, I would expect of the free agents, he would be the guy they would target heaviest. In terms of guys on the trade market, Dylan Cease, I think, is probably you know one that makes a lot of sense, and he was a guy I talked about before the deadline. Guys in Seattle, Logan Gilbert, uh, George Kirby, those guys, they Depoto's always you know looking to make a move. I think you know those guys are going to be very expensive, but kind of the guys the Red Sox are going to look at in that bucket. Mitch Keller, a guy in Pittsburgh, and then you know you never know what teams are open to in the offseason. There's always a surprise or two. Um, I push for Zach Gallon in Arizona, but you know I don't make the decisions for the Red Sox. We'll move on. The reason for that? Just a good pitcher. Do you think we see Sedan Rafaela as a September call up from Charles Hopkins? Any other prospects to look forward to as call-ups? And then someone else asking, Brian Mata was once a highly touted prospect until his injuries. Does he fit in moving forward? So we'll lump those two together. Um, I think Rafaela probably gets called up for a run in September, especially if they're out of it. You know, kind of unclear where he'd play on a daily basis because, you know, again, these spots are filled, and I think they want to see what they have in Luis Urias down the stretch, maybe Pablo Reyes at second. And they want, obviously, you know, they want Duran to – get plenty of run in center. Um, they already have too many outfielders. So maybe on Rafael, I'd say probably. Um, there's really not, you know, a, a ton of other guys pushing at Worcester to to come up. You know, last year it was Casas and a couple others. Maybe they look at some relief arms down the stretch if they're out of it. Um, Mata, to me, is an interesting one. If he comes back and he's healthy, maybe he gets a look toward the end of the year. He was very close at the end of last year to the point where they actually – brought him on the taxi squad on a couple trips to have him get kind of acclimated to the majors and expected he contribute this year. It's a guy who's been a prospect for like six years. Um, the injuries have been issues. So I, I think Mata could fit in if he, you know, comes back and in, in time and, and we'll see if that happens. But um, any other names that pop out to you? No, I, I, I agree with you on both those guys. I think there's a chance that either or both could come up and, uh, you know, we already talked about the concern over Turner going forward. If we get into September, the team is uh, is really out of contention by then. Uh, then you could see Turner shutting it down. And then you have uh, Yoshida serving as the DH more frequently. And that opens up some playing time in the outfield uh, for Raffaella. So that's one potential uh, opening for him. And if Mata comes up, it, it seems to me it would not be uh, as a rotation piece, but maybe as a high leverage guy. I'd like to see how that stuff translates to shorter stints. Command continues to be an issue for him, but maybe uh, in a in a shorter outing uh, coming in and pitching the seventh inning as a power righty out of the bullpen, they might want to take a look at him too. With so many guys from Worcester, in the last couple of years now in Boston, not just, you know, the kind of the core guys in Casas and Wong and Crawford and Bayo and those guys, but also, you know, guys like Murphy and Walter now and, and some of these others. There's not many guys who are kind of knocking on the door and just taking a quick look at SoxProspects.com. Only, I think, three of the top 20 Red Sox prospects are at Worcester. That is Rafaela, number four, Drone, who we talked about as like a 6 ERA in Worcester at number 11 and uh, Emmanuel Valdez, we've already seen in the majors at 17. So you know, maybe guys like, you know, Valdez and David Hamilton, uh, who we've already seen in the majors, but in terms of guys who haven't debuted yet, there's really not, not a lot of meat on that bone. Uh, we will cl- number two, this is no longer, we're no longer in the, you know, cram guys like sardines into the dugout rule. Uh, right. you, you 
to add a couple of guys on September 1st. So you have to be careful about who you bring up. Um, I, I think, you know, three or four years ago when it was almost unlimited and you could have uh, as many as 14 or 15 call-ups, then certainly those guys would get a look. Uh, but now you have to pick your spots a little more carefully to a couple of call-ups. So that, that complicates things a bit too. Last question from Noah Powell. Devers started defensive, so we should ask Ian Brown, who's been raving about this in the press box for weeks. Devers started defensively stronger than usual, but his offense wasn't there. Now that it's flipped, is he at a point where only one can be good? And this is interesting because, uh, to use the Alex score term, you look up and you look at the numbers, you look up at the scoreboard, you see what Rafael Devers has done, and, like, you know, he has <laughs> not hit for average as much, but the OPS 847 is only kind of 30 points lower than it was last year. It's not a, a huge, huge, huge gap after what everybody thought was a great year last year at 295 with 27 and 88. This year he's at 263 with 26 and 79. Um, 25 doubles, he had 42 last year. Um, OPS plus 122, it was 140 last year. So it's not the year he had last year or even in 2021, but still you know, pretty good offensively. Defensively, it just looks like he is at this point worn down or banged up. I think um, just based on you know some of the the plays we've seen over there in the last few weeks. Well, typically with Devers, what you see is that the defensive lapses tend to come in bunches. Uh, you know, not unlike a, a player who begins to struggle offensively, and you can kind of see a slump coming. When he makes a misplay or two, I think it stays with him still. I think that's part of the game that has to be addressed, where he gets into defensive funks or slumps that last longer than they should. He isn't able to turn the page as quickly after a couple of bad games. So that still is an issue. And I'm a little more critical of his offensive season than you are. To me, when you're committing to the kind of deal that he got you need that that guy, that $30 million a year guy to have an OPS a lot closer to nine than what we're seeing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the power has come back. The home run total is better than a year ago. He has an outside chance of finishing close to 40 homers this year. That's where he should be, in my opinion, in terms of home run output. But uh, he should also be hitting higher than 260-something. And, uh, and the OPS should be 900 or better for a player uh, in that pay grade and of that caliber, uh, I would say that uh, in general, this has been somewhat, not a hugely, but somewhat of a disappointing season for Devers. Yeah, I would agree with that. And, you know, as you said, there's you know $300 million. I think his role on the roster, as Alex Gore has talked about, also changed a little bit. And um, he's, you know, you can't really pitch around him now. I know, you know, Turner has been pretty good throughout the year. And at times, you know, Duvall and Duran and Verdugo have also been had good offensive stretches, Casas. But um, Devers is the featured piece, and, and that has never been the case. And, you know, there's probably an adjustment to that. And it, it really hasn't gone as perfectly as they would have envisioned. That's the Fenway rundown on this Thursday. Sean McAdam and Chris Cotillo here. We'll have plenty of coverage over the next four days of what the Red Sox do and be back with the pod uh, next week on Tuesday. I will be in our nation's capital in uh, one of the worst ballparks in the country. We can get into that next week at Nationals Park for uh, that series. This has been the Fenway Rundown, brought to you by Mass Live.